Hey, welcome to another exciting podcast from Freedom House Church. My name is Troy Maxwell. I'm the senior pastor of our church. We are one church that meets in multiple locations, which means we have different communicators at all of our different locations. Today, you'll be hearing an exciting message from one of our teaching teams. I know that it will bless you. You will walk away changed. So enjoy this message. Hey, Freedom House, Troy Maxwell, your senior pastor. I just want to welcome you to our online experience. We are one church meeting in multiple locations, for real this time. Like, we have people meeting in living rooms, in kitchens, in bedrooms, in offices, in their cars. Um, They're hiding somewhere. Some of you are hiding right now watching this online experience. You're hiding from your boss right now. That's cool. You can do this for the next 40 minutes. Um, I just want to let you know, church, and those of y'all that are joining us from all over the world, that we are praying for you. We are believing God for you, no matter what circumstances you're going through. I just want to let you know that we're here for you. We're here to pray for you. We got people right there in the chat bar that would love to pray with you, connect with you. And I believe God's going to speak to you in a powerful way today. Before I get into this message, I want to just mention a couple things that we got going on coming up in the next week. Um, We have something new that we're doing here at Freedom House called our Good Friday service, the first time we've ever done anything like this. And we've got three opportunities for you to tune in. You know, why are we doing a Good Friday service in front of Easter? I don't think you can really understand the glory of the resurrection until you see the suffering of the cross. And so we want to talk about what it looked like on Friday when Jesus went to the cross for us and died for us. And we're going to talk about that. And then on the weekend, we're going to spend some time uh, talking about what the resurrection power did for us, what, what Jesus did. For, he paid in full force. We're going to spend the whole weekend talking about that. And make sure you, you reserve some time, get your families together, spend some time praying for us. We're going to have communion in all of those services. You can participate in that, and it's going to be tremendous. Well, this weekend, we are starting a brand new series called Humpty Dumpty Life. I know you've heard the nursery rhyme. I know you've all heard it before, Humpty Dumpty, come on, say it with me, Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall, Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses, all the king's men could not put Humpty back together again. Okay, I've always struggled with that nursery rhyme. I kind of struggle with all nursery rhymes because sometimes, honestly, guys, they really don't make a whole lot of sense. For example, why did Humpty Dumpty get up on the wall in the first place? Like, why did he go up on the top of the wall if he had a propensity to fall off the wall? He shouldn't have been up there. He should have listened to his mom. He shouldn't have got up on the top of the wall in the first place. He wouldn't have fallen. And I didn't know that horses could actually put people together again anyway. Like, how can horses actually put anyway? I think this is a great way to start off this month in talking about how many times life can break us apart. And I think it's important in the times that we're living in right now, in this uncertain, weird time that we're living on on this earth, on this planet right now, that that we understand that although Humpty Dumpty couldn't be put together again by the horses and the king's men, that God can put us all back together again, no matter what we face in our life. I was reading through one of my favorite um, devotionals, uh, My Utmost for His Highest, uh, by Oswald Chambers, and I came across July. I, you know, I just kind of randomly picked different devotions to read, and I came across this statement. He said, he said this. He said, thank God he gives us difficult things to do. It reminds me of what Pastor James said. He said, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. 
I believe that God has put us on the planet for such a time as this. Could it be that the reason why we're going through this is because we're the ones that could handle it? We're the ones that God put on this planet at this moment. He could have stopped any of this at any moment, but he is allowing us to, to go through some of these challenges that we can go through so that we can be better on the other side. I think he's developing us so we can grow in our relationship with him. You know, this devotion goes on to say, it says, but the difficulty of it does not make us faint and cave in. It rouses us up to overcome. I want to let you know today, I want to give you some hope. I want to help you understand that you can overcome any challenge that you're facing right now. I know many people are facing unemployment. They're facing their businesses shutting down. They're struggling in their finances. They're struggling in their family. A lot of uncertainty. Listen, this, this situation that we're dealing with, God can use to grow us and grow our faith. When you think about Humpty, you know, he did fall to pieces, and sometimes crisis can cause us to feel like that we're scattered, that we're disconnected, that we're fragmented. But I want to let you know something about God. There is nothing too broken that God can't repair. And so no matter what you're dealing with in your life, God can repair you. And I want to talk to you through that today. I want to talk to you about how God can help us not get in a position where we're broken in the first place. How about we just make sure that we don't fall off the wall? How about that we make sure that in the middle of this crisis, that we don't find ourselves falling down off the wall in the first place? I love what Jesus said at the end of his Sermon on the Mount. He, he, he kind of sums everything up, and he makes this statement in, in Matthew chapter 7. I think this is the, the Humpty house. This is the Humpty Dumpty house. This, this is what he says. He says, therefore, whoever hears these saying of mine, and does them, I will liken him to a wise man. I believe there's some wise people today that are listening who built his house on the rock. You got to build your house on the rock. What, is the, what does being built on the rock means? And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on the house. In other words, they went through some crisis. That house went through some crisis. It says, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. What does it mean to be founded on the rock? It means that when we put our trust in the word, no matter what, our house, our life, everything is built upon a foundation that cannot fail. You know, Jesus goes on to say, I didn't put this on here, but he goes on to talk about that there's another house that they hear the sayings of his, but they don't do them. I want to challenge you to put the word in action during this season in your life. Actually do something. Put, put faith in action in your life and watch God build around you a foundation so that you don't have to be broken. You don't have to go through being fragmented. You don't have to go through being scattered. You don't have to deal with being fallen on the ground, waiting for some horses and some men, I don't know how they do it, come and put you back together again. You can trust that God will catapult you into your calling. So how do you handle crisis? How do you get through these challenges without being broken, without losing your peace, without walking away from God without falling apart. How do you deal with this? Well, I want to take you to a story today, a very familiar story. Many of us have seen the movie multiple times. It's about when Moses took 
the Israelites out of Egypt. Now, let me just give you a quick understanding of what happened. The Israelites had been in captivity for 400 years. They had been in bondage for 400 years. They're crying out to God, help us, God, help us, God. The Bible says that he heard their cry, and he sent this this man, Moses, the deliverer, into Egypt, and he basically was set in place. And they had, you know, you know the story, they had 10 plagues, you know, flies and lice and blood. And then the last one was that God sent the death angel, the firstborn were taken from Egypt. And so the, the Pharaoh gets so angry with the Israelites, he finally says, get out of here, man. But then when he realizes that he just left, let his slaves go, he gets really angry and chases them. And so the Israelites are in this place where they are, they are kind of in a crisis. They're not kind of, they are really in a crisis. Look with me at Exodus chapter 14, verse 10. It says, and when Pharaoh drew near. Okay, so here's what's happened. The Israelites are, are, are standing there, they're in front of the Red Sea. The Red Sea's right in front of them. They got mountains on the side of them. And then the Egyptian army, with all its force, the greatest army on the planet, is bearing down on the Israelites. I mean, put yourself in their sandals for a second. Think about what they're going through. They're thinking about what's going to happen to us. What We're going to die. Moses, you brought us out here to kill us. Look what he says. The children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, so they were very afraid. They were afraid. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. And then they said to Moses. So they cried out to God, and then they went to Moses. Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Why did you even bring us out of here? We're going to die. This is crazy. It says, it, is this not the word that we told you in Egypt? Didn't we tell you this? Like, we just want to stay there. Let us be safe. Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. And so, so they, they, are, they are in a position where they're, they're going to die. They, they feel like they're going to die. You know, we've heard a lot of mortality rates about COVID-19, that 3 or 4%, you know, whatever news channel you listen to, it could be anywhere from 1% to 4% of people are dying. Let me tell you something. This is a 100% chance of mortality for the Israelites. If the Egyptians catch up with the Israelites, they're going to wipe them off the planet. They are tired of dealing with them. They are tired of messing with them. And so they're in a crisis. They got the Red Sea in front of them. They got the mountains on the side of them. And they got the Egyptians behind them, just like us. We got the coronavirus chasing us down. We got economic upheaval on both sides of us. And we got recession right before us. So what do you do in the middle of a crisis? How do you handle a crisis? Well, Moses gives us the answer in the next verse. He lets us know. And what I want to do is I want to talk to you about this because I think it's important for us to understand how to handle crisis. Because some of us right now, you're going through not just the crisis of the virus that we're facing, but you're facing crisis in your home. You're facing crisis in your marriage. You're facing crisis in your job. How do you handle this internally when things are bearing down on you? Bearing down to destroy you, to take you out. And that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to take you out. Can I just say something really quickly about Egypt? Um, Just so you know, biblically, Egypt always represented our past. And there's something you got to know, you got to understand about your past. Your past will always try to chase you down and destroy you. 
It will always try to pull you back away from the calling and the plan that God has for your life. So how do you handle crisis? Well, Moses tells us what to do in a crisis. Look at the next verse in verse 13 and 14. And Moses said to the people, if if I were Moses, I would have been a little mad, be honest with you. They were complaining the whole time. He's trying to deliver them and they're complaining. And Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Okay, first thing he says, he says, don't be afraid. Let me say something about fear because I think there's two ways that you can look at this because I think sometimes we think being scared and fear and having fear are the same thing. Nothing wrong with being scared. Really, there's nothing wrong because that's a rational fear. Being scared is rational. It's okay. Somebody jumps out at you, you want to punch them, that's all right. It's all right to do that because that's a normal reaction. But the spirit of fear will hold you captive. It's a spirit of cowardice. It's a spirit. It's not, it's not just an alertness. When you get scared, your body goes into a position of alertness where your every sense is ready to go. Fear, however, d- destroys your emotional peace. And so Moses says to them, look, you don't have to be afraid. We've got a God that's way bigger than, the Israel, than, than Egypt. And so here's what he says. He says, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you won't see anymore. <laughs> I love that. You shall see again no more forever. I'm going to wipe them out for you. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. I love. Can I just read verse 14 one more time? The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. i got to read it one more time. The Lord will fight for you. I want you to hear that. Church, I want you to hear, the Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. Hold on to peace, let God do the fighting. Come on, somebody. Hold on to some peace today, and let God do the fighting. I want to talk about five words that we can learn from Moses, five things that we can do in a crisis. Number one is you got to stand. Come on, say it with me. Say it really loud so I can hear you. Stand. What do you have to stand? You have to stand firm. Be on certain ground. Stand, not in timidity, but stand up. Stand up. David stood before Goliath. Elijah stood before Ahab and Jezebel. Uh, you, you can think Jesus stood before Pilate. Now is not the time to sit down, church. Now is the time to stand up. You, you are called to stand up. You were built for a time like this. You were built for this moment in history. God put you on this planet so that you could stand up and be an example for those around you. Here's what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter, uh, chapter 15, verse 58. It says, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable. Another word for stand. Be steadfast and stand up, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Look at uh, Ephesians chapter 6. You know this verse, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand, stand in the evil day and having done all to stand, stand therefore having your gird, have, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and he goes on and on and on like that. I remember um, probably 20 years ago, I was in a service in Richmond, Virginia, and I'll never forget this. It was one of those moments you know, that was just stamped on my heart. We were in the middle of the service. There's probably 2,000 people in my old church, 
And <clears throat> it was like one of those Holy Ghost kind of services where there was really nobody on the platform, but God was moving in the midst of the church and things were happening. And so my pastor was sitting right on the front row. And I remember this very clearly because I was a pastor's aide. And I sat right beside him. My job was to, to kind of be there for the pastor, you know, and, and, and kind of protect things and make sure things were going on and all. Going straight from the, from the front row up to the platform when they had uh, prayer services and prayer lines. I was there to kind of help facilitate all that. And so, so my pastor is this, like this holy moment settled over the entire church and it got real quiet. And then in the back of the room, somebody started going crazy. I don't know if it was like demon possession or somebody was just going nuts in the back. And it happened and it seemed like it went for like a minute long, probably a little shorter than that, but it seemed like it went for a very long time and nobody was doing anything about it. And I'll never forget what happened. It was so powerful. My pastor stood up, and when he stood up, it was, like, it was like all of this authority stood up with him. And I knew it wasn't my pastor's authority. It was the office that he sat in. It was the presence of God because finally somebody decided to do something about the noise. And when he stood up, it was like everything just kind of whoosh, just kind of settled down. Some of us, some of you right now are sitting on your couch, and you know what you need to do by faith? Just stand up. That's right. You need to stand up. So here's what the Bible says. It says, having done all to stand, stand. I like how Paul does it. He doesn't just say it once. He says it two times. What is he talking about? Because there is a defensive stand, a defensive posture that we have to stand in. And guess what? There is also an offensive stand. Both can be done at the same time. You can stand defensively like you're going to not go any farther. I'm, I'm not going to let you go any farther in this situation. And then there's also an offensive stand that we have to stand in. Now is the time to not be fearful, not be timid, but to stand firm on the ground that God has given us. Stand firm on the rock that you are founded in. I love Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. It says, Christ has set us free to live a free life. So take your stand, church. Now's the time. Second word that, that Moses tells us is still. What is he talking about? You got to be still. So when you stand, you have to have a stillness. And I'm not just talking about standing still. I'm talking about inside, internally, you have to be still. The Bible says in, in Psalms chapter 46, it says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Be still. There's something real important about our emotions during times of crisis. Our emotions can really try to lead us. Our emotions are important in our life. We all, God gave us emotions. We, our emotions are valuable to us. But emotions, feelings, are terrible leaders. And what you don't want to do is you don't want to let your emotions take you somewhere you can't return from. Let me say it another way. Our emotions, out-of-control emotions, lead to a broken life. If we allow our emotions to get out of control, they will lead to a broken, a diseased life, a unpeaceful, a fragmented, a scattered life. When we allow our emotions. Now, so what are emotions for? Great question. Emotions are the barometer of our soul. 
Emotions kind of let us know what's going on in the inside of our heart. What's going on inside? It doesn't mean that we're led by those emotions, but we sure should check those emotions. We need to make sure that we have control over those emotions. So what is, what is God talking about when he says to be still? Be still and know that I am God. He's talking about um, being quiet in your soul. For some of us, what that means is that maybe we need to spend a little more time in God's word. Just, just settle yourself down. Sit down in a quiet place. Turn on some worship music. Stop looking at social media. Turn the news off. Turn the radio off. Turn the friends talking about what's going on and focus all of your attention on the fact that God is God. He is in control. Be still. Don't let your emotions get out of control. If you feel them getting out of control, then set aside, stand and be still. Number three word is you got to see. What what do you do in a crisis? You got to see. Your perspective, my perspective, will become my reality. Whatever, whatever I focus on will become my reality. I don't know if you ever had this happen before, but um, I've been driving down the highway in the, in, when it's nighttime, and, <clears throat> and, and there's, a, there's a police car up there, okay, not behind me, but in front of me, okay, because when it's behind me, you know what happens. You get nervous. Even if you're not doing anything wrong, you get nervous. <laughs> and so, so I see this police car, and I see the lights flashing, and you know what happens to me? I don't know if it happens to you, and... and they, they tell us it happens to everybody, is you start focusing on the lights, and it's almost like you get mesmerized by the lights. Those flashing lights start to kind of woo you to them, and next thing you know, you feel like you're just going to drive right at them. You know that actually happens? Did you know that 40% of policemen who pull people over at night, they, they have to park their car in a certain way to protect themselves because they get, end up getting hit by other drivers because they get so focused on the light, they just drive right at it. They, 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 they see it, and they go right at it. See, what happens to us is that if we don't keep your eyes on Jesus, if you don't focus all of your attention on Jesus, what can easily happen is you are drawn to what you focus on. So we've got to make sure our perspective in crisis is focused on the one who can change things, who can actually heal things, that can make a difference in our life. Don't get focused on something other than. Now, can you look at other stuff? Absolutely. We can't help, but don't, don't let your gaze be so strong on things that are out of your control, they become your reality, and you end up crashing when you should be driving along. So whatever you're drawn to is what you focus on. What are you focusing on right now? What are you, what are you spending time in? What are your eyes looking at? Listen, if, if, you, if you feel like you need to sit down, if you feel like that there's a lot of scatteredness, you're, you're not standing and you're not being still, it, it could be because your eyes are focused on something that is not going to bring you the peace that's necessary in these times that we're living in. Number, number, number four and I love this verse. Let me, let me tell you this verse in Psalms 34. It says, oh, magnify the Lord with me. I love how the psalmist says, hey, let's make sure that God is, is the focus of everything. Make him the big part of our life. Make him the bigness of who we are and, and what we focus our, our, our attention on. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Number four is what to do in a crisis is you got to Stand, you got to be still, stand still, and you got to see the salvation. 
you got to see the salvation. Now, what is he talking about when Moses talks about salvation? Because we know as New Testament believers that salvation means a few things. I wrote them down here. I want, I want to just make it clear what salvation in the New Testament means. It means that you have uh, an eternity in heaven. When you become a Christian, when you give your life to Jesus, you have an eternity in heaven. Not only that, you also have a connection with God. You are reunited with the Father. Now, Jesus also tells us that when we, uh, when we are a new creation, when we, we get saved, we are born again. We're, we're brand new. We, we become fresh. We're like, everything about our lives change. Also, our sins are paid for. All of our sins are taken care of. Everything's taken care of. So that's New Testament. So what does it mean when there's a reference to salvation in the Old Testament? Well, in the Old Testament, when they would reference salvation, they're talking about God interrupting in power. It was an interruption of God's power. Uh, and just something happening out of the ordinary that would, be, that would blow you away, that would change everything about the situation. It's like, it's like you see this and everything changes because God shows up. I think about Elijah when he's facing 850 prophets of Baal. And, and nothing is going on because they're praying to their gods, nothing's going on. Uh, Elijah gets up there, he prays a little prayer, and fire comes down out of heaven. That's not normal, guys. When fire comes down out of heaven, that is not normal. Not normal at all. Licks up all the water. I think about Elisha when, when they lose a metal um, hatchet, a, a metal axe head. It, it goes in the middle of a lake. God can do something. He makes the axe head float. Okay, that's salvation. That is the impossible happening. I don't know about you, but I think we need some impossible things happening in our life right now. So you've got to stand. You've got you to be still. You've got to see, and you've got to receive the salvation. See, the power of God, salvation is the power of God to eradicate things in our life. The Israelites were facing the Red Sea. They had mountains on each side. They had the Egyptians behind them. God could have done anything. He could have, he could have just made the mountains go flat. He could have destroyed all the Egyptians behind them. But you know what he did? He split the Red Sea. That doesn't happen very often. I don't know if you've ever been, seen a sea split. I haven't. And it didn't just split. The Bible says that the dry ground rose up in the middle of it. It says the winds blew back. I don't know if you hear this, but you hear all of the Trinity right in the midst of the miracle. Jesus is our rock that can rise up. The Holy Spirit comes to remove and, and separate our way so we can see as God does the impossible in our life. And he can do the same for you. Maybe it looks like bankruptcy right now. God can do the impossible. Maybe it looks like you don't have a job. God can do the impossible. Maybe it looks like it's a tough time in your family. God can do the impossible. Maybe your relationships need to be restored. Stand still, see the salvation. God can do the impossible. Matter of fact, before I go any farther, I want to I wanna invite you, right where you are, to make a decision to receive everything that God has for you. Maybe it's the first time you've ever experienced a church service. 
Listen, I, I would much rather be looking at you face to face. But listen, God can see you right where you're sitting, right where you're standing. And he has a plan for your life. A plan for you to spend eternity with him in heaven. A plan for you to be reunited with your father. A plan to have all your sins eradicated. That is the salvation of God. I want to pray with you. If you're here, if you're, if you're here and, and you want and you want to receive the presence of God in your life, if you if you are are here, if you're present and you want to have all your sins forgiven, if you want to know beyond a shadow of a doubt, and you're here and you want to and you want to give your life to Jesus. I want to pray with you right now. Would you do something? I got one more point. I, got, I told you I had five words. I got one more I want to tell you. But before I go any farther, I just want to pray with you. Would you bow your head right where you are? Would you bow your head to receive the salvation of God? Just bow your head right where you are. And I want you to pray this out loud. I know it may be a little awkward, but I want you to pray it out loud. Because I want you, you to hear your prayer with your own ears. Christians, as you're watching right now, would you pray this out as well? Just say this with close your eyes. Bow your head. Pray this out loud. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus died for me. I believe that his blood washes me of all my sins and all my mistakes. Today, I start a brand new relationship with Almighty God. Today, I step into my future. I step in to my calling. Jesus, thank you for being raised from the dead so that I could start a brand new life in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Okay, I told you five words. What to do in a crisis. Number one, you got to stand. Number two, be still. Number three, see Number four, salvation. And then the last one is you've got to, you've got, you've got to see the staff. Okay, here's, here's a part of the story that kind of messed me up for a little while. And this, this is what happened. It says, then the Lord said to Moses, because they were crying out to God. And, and this is it's kind of strange. Because they're crying out to the Lord. And then God says, why are you crying out to me? It's like, it's like you're praying, and then in the middle of your prayer, God says, hey, stop for a second. Can I say something to you? So he says, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. And then he says, raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. He said, raise, he told Moses, raise your staff. In other words, Moses Everything you need for this crisis, you have. Everything you need to deal with this crisis is right in your hand, your staff. What what did the staff represent? Some translations call it a rod. The staff represented who Moses was, his identity. It was a shepherd's staff. Whenever he would go anywhere, people would see that staff. That's a shepherd. It represented his influence. Because as a shepherd, he would use that to corral the sheep. It also represented his income. That's how he's made his money. See, for you and me, and this is what the Bible calls a staff, it represents our authority. Our authority is wrapped up in our identity, our influence, and the wealth that we have in God. So 
What do you carry with you right now? What kind of authority do you have in the midst of, these, of this crisis that we're going through right now? What can you do as a believer? Now, this is important because you have been given some things by God that you already possess. I, I, that's why I wanted to pray first because we're going to declare in just a second. And you can't declare something that you aren't. Or don't have. Now that you're a Christian, you can make a declaration because God has given you something. What has he given you? Number one, he's given you his name. You have the name of Jesus. Your identity is not what you do. An accountant, a real estate agent, a broker. No, no. You are a blood-bought, born-again believer of God. You are under and in the name of Jesus. Secondly, you have the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus is powerful, man. The blood of Jesus can change things. It washes away sin, past, present, and future. The blood of Jesus makes a way for us to get into the very throne room of God. You also have the word, which is called the sword of the spirit. You've been given a weapon called the word of God. You've also given prayer. You have prayer. You have the, the ability to pray and connect heaven to earth and earth to heaven. That's what prayer is. And you've also been given faith. Five things you've been given. You already possess those things. So when you stand still and see the salvation, I want you to take your staff today, the authority that you have been given in God, and I want you to declare blessing over your family. I want you to declare blessing over your neighborhood. I want you to declare healing over our nation. Why don't we do it right now? Come on, let's do it together. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for the authority that we walk in as believers, and today... Right now, we take that position of authority and we stand up. We stand. We are still in our hearts knowing the peace of God that passes all understanding surrounds and upholds us, God. We see the salvation of God and we take the name of Jesus, the name that's above every name, the name that's above every disease, every virus, every sickness, every wickedness, every weakness. We take the name of Jesus because we are in that name in Jesus' name. We thank you for the name of Jesus and we use the blood of Jesus and we plead the blood of Jesus over our nation. We plead the blood of Jesus over households. We plead the blood of Jesus over our neighborhood and we thank you that we are protected. We are surrounded by that blood. And Father, we use our faith in the Word of God, the weapon, the sword of the Spirit to knock down the enemy, that enemy of fear, that enemy of cowardice. And we stand up boldly in Jesus' name and take our authority that you've given us in the middle of this crisis. And God, we will be the church that you've called us to be and rise up. Come on, today, let me just, five things I want you to remember. Stand still. See the salvation and take your staff. Take the authority that God's given you. I love you, church. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful week.